girl next door. Hello. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Is that Stephanie Fidalik? Hi, it's Stephanie Fidalik. Hey, Tamara Robbins Griffith. <laughs> Hi. Is this Curl Next Door? Ding dong. The podcast? <laughs> Ding dong. Curl Next Door podcast <laughs> has arrived. I've, I've come to the right place. I see. You are I am here. here. You, you found are the here. right door. We are here. The year is here. The year I know it's not our is, first. Yeah. The year, the year is, is definitely here. Definitely here. I like all those memes that are like, this has been the like longest three months of January I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God for Wordle though. Oh my God. What a great Isn't way to pass sweetest? the time. Have you read about him? I saw you post a link about the Wordle creator and I mm-hmm. love that article. It's adorable. And, and just, he's he just it. it's just the yeah. little engine that could. It was just this guy's side project and he did it for his girlfriend. And now it's this massive thing. And they just like didn't care, want to like make it a big thing or monetize it. They just wanted to make it nice and how make it nice. they would like it to be, right? It's not endless and it's not you know, you have to use real words and it doesn't let you just go again and again and again and suck up all your time. Yeah. And to your point, it's just pure. It's just yeah. like pure intentions, really good intentions. I love also, there is that anecdote about how one of the users in New Zealand started posting success using the emojis. Right. <laughs> and then he just ended up working that into the share function. Yeah. At, inspired by that woman's suggestion. I thought that was pretty cool. And even my mom used to play Giotto, right? Because it's similar to that, this like newspaper word game. Mm. So people of her generation are like, oh yeah, we used to do this thing. And then Noah likes it too, you know, my 10-year-old. And it's just kind of neat that everybody's doing this word game, right? Yeah, I agree. Today's was tough though. Did you do today? Yeah, I did. It took me all six. I've been pretty good. I usually average better than that. So yeah. Got got it in just in the neck. It, it just depends what you start with, right? And I've had a few days where I the first word I put in is like nothing. There's nothing there. And then yeah. I have to turn the ship around quickly. Turn the ship around. <laughs> the article you sent, there was a related article about how to win it, how to win a oh, wordle. Yeah. And apparently one of the best words to start with is soar, S-O-A-R-E. Because S is a very common first letter and mm-hmm. E is a very common last letter. Okay. I wouldn't have ever thought of that word had I not read it in the article. I wouldn't have either because that's not how, if I think of sore and sore, I think of S-O-R-E and S-O-A-R. I agree. And also I tried it Mm -hmm. and it took me six tries to win today. So so, hmm. maybe not so good. I definitely try and have at least two vowels in my starting word. And just from Wheel of Fortune, yeah, I, my brain goes to like R-S-T-L-N-E as like yeah. most popular letters. Yeah, that's right. Anyway, I don't know about technically like what the algorithms would say about all the yeah. words yeah, in the alphabet. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So much so that Wheel of Fortune started just giving you those letters. I think they tried to find phrases or words in the end that didn't have those letters because it was just <laughs> obvious. Of course, you're going to pick those letters. Like who would ever, you know, in the special bonus round, like who's going to yeah. pick Q and X? Yeah. Nobody. Nobody. <laughs> Unless you're a special kind of person. Yeah. <laughs> who just doesn't, wants to be different. Totes. But uh, how's your week? How's it going? How's your hair? It's good. Oh, I love, can we talk about our hair for a second? Yeah, yeah. Your hair looks really pretty. <laughs> okay, well. You I'll, got l- highlights? I got the highlights and I have to tell you, so I was very excited because of course it's been four months at least, if not more. And he gave me bond protector for afterwards mm-hmm. to put on. And so I've used it before. I just didn't connect. And then all of a sudden, our whole conversation with Tammy Axworthy was like stuck in my mind. And I'm like, yeah. yes, I am taking care of my hair. I've had the bleach in it. I'm going to do the bond protector. So there, there's probably lots of different brands, but Olaplex is pretty popular. And I think that the Olaplex number three is their bond protector. And there's a lot of people... So you can wash and condition your hair after coloring do the bond protector as a treatment and leave it in for 10 or 15 minutes Mm -hmm. and rinse it out. But there's a lot of people who leave it in overnight 
who leave it in. Like, it's just, it's going to help your hair and it's not going to hurt to leave it in. So he said, just put it in, leave it in as long as you can, whatever. So I tried it as like styling product. Like I put it in and then I styled my hair. And did you notice a difference? Yeah. I mean, it was a little kind of thicker than sometimes how much product I like, but I actually got nice curls and posted a photo on our Instagram. Yeah, I saw. Yeah. You did have nice curls. Considering I wasn't even really trying to like properly style my hair. Yeah. It was like a leave-in treatment, basically. Nice. Mm -hmm. Very nice. And your hair looks... for a haircut. Oh, yeah. Well... While you're not getting your hair cut, it looks super cute tied up in your little scarf. Oh, thank you. You need to take a picture so we can post it. Okay. Yeah. yeah, You mentioned um, before we jumped on our recording, Rosie the Riveter. That's sort of the the look (laughs) right now. Actually, earlier I had a red bandana, which I think is even closer to Rosie. And I did a strength workout today. So I should have been wearing my little red (gasps) handkerchief in my hair and then doing the little muscle Whoa. The bicep muscle holding a wrench. You need to recreate that, especially yeah. if it's red with like white polka dots or something. But It is exactly that. Th- okay. So yeah. this one is black and white stripes and you yeah. got me one too. And is it silk? Silk it's or satin? It's the satiny, silky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It looks really cute. Thank you. Thank you. Well, in the hair news, I saw something really funny because... Jonathan Van Ness, I don't know if you've yeah. heard about this. Oh, he yeah, has I've heard a, of a him. New, yeah, well, he from Queer Eye, he has a new line of hair care products. And so he's, I guess, gone on a press tour or what have you. He has some publicist. So there's a few articles and they talk about him saying, you should be squelching your hair. Squelching it? Yes. What is squelching it? mean well i think that you know, gosh there's another one there's some youtubers and instagrammers who talk about like squish to condition like there's all these funny, oh yeah 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 funny words so he's saying let me find this quote for you he is saying you literally want to hear a little bit of squelch in the hair if you don't hear that squelch in your curls, it's going to be frizzy. I can already tell you, you have to have that amount of product in there for it to not get frizzy on you. And so curly hair lovers, if your hair is not squelching with moisture when you scrunch, put on more product. So it flies in the face of some of what Nubia told us to like not overdo the product. It depends and, on the product though. So for example, Curl Keeper, which... I swear we're not getting paid by them because I talk about it all the time. But you're supposed to put that stuff in until it squelches. I just never heard that word before. I always put it in until it squishes. And if you don't hear that squish, you need to put in more product. And I've tested the alternative, which is to not use enough. And it doesn't work. Right. So squish or squelch (laughs) to your heart's content. I I think we know our episode title. (laughs) I know. I was (laughs) squish, squelch. Squish or squelch. Squish and squelch. There you go. (laughs) If you know, you know, right? And if you have curly hair, you're just nodding along like, yep, I've been doing that my whole life. So we should, he's got a bit of a curl. Is his line meant to be for curlies or just? In general, I do think it's a general hair care line, but I think that he's done YouTube videos and all these things. So he gave a lesson on styling to, and curly hair from 2A to 4C. And so I think that when I was looking for curly haired news, this came up, but I think that he has hair care products for other people too. But in, a, in other news of other curly haired product, the line Ozzy launched a, a new line for kids with curly hair mm, and kinder it's, curls. it's so freaking cute and it just it's like there's so many options for different curl types for kids they say from from type one to type four the curls and coils of your kiddo are covered so it's I just type one meant you had straight hair I thought curls started at a 2a I think you're right this could just be the article Okay. In in Essence magazine that they said the one, but maybe they don't really mean one. Because I think you're right. Two, three, and four are from waves to curls. And I think if you're one, you're straight. 
You're straight. It's been so long since we've talked about it. That was like episode one a million years ago before the pandemic. Before COVID. Oh my before God. Before COVID. Remember so then? It's just, I don't. I, I, I was thinking about it, but anyway, it's really nice that there's an awareness of, of curl types and that there's mm-hmm. availability for kids because, well, we've talked about our childhoods. <laughs> Yeah. So stay tuned, listeners. We'll do okay. some sort of little people, curly, girl, <laughs> little people, episode. curly hair, yeah. curly world. All right. Who gets to go first? I don't re- even remember, but paper, rock, you... scissors. Oh, okay. Okay. Who? And then when you win, you just decide? When you, if you win, you go first. Okay. Okay. All right. One, two. Wait. One... We're going to say one, two, three, and then go on go. four. Okay. Okay. <laughs> One, One, two, two three, three, go. Four. <laughs> Paper covers rock. You go. Okay. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, I wish we filmed that. <laughs> I think listeners can figure it out, use their imaginations. <laughs> Most people have played Paper, Rock, Scissors, I think. I don't I know. Hope. Is that a cultural thing? I have no idea. Listen. If you've never played rock, paper, scissors, then you are the rock living under that paper. (laughs) Then I'm the rock because I picked rock. Anyway, how about it? Okay. Let's hear it. Who's your CND? Starting with M. Starting with M, I'm going to talk to you about the family Madrigal, but specifically Maribel Madrigal. Do you know who that is? No, ma'am. Have you heard about the movie Encanto? By name only. I know nothing about it. All right. You're going to hear about it and you're going to jump off this recording and go watch it tonight. (laughs) Or maybe watch it when you're not tired. So because I really honestly think you're going to love this film. Encanto is a 2021 American computer animated musical fantasy comedy film. And it's produced and distributed by Walt Disney. It is the 60th movie produced by the studio and features eight original songs by Lin-Manuel Miranda, the creator Uh, of Hamilton. And previous to this research I did, I I didn't realize that he was involved with Moana, the other Disney movie. Oh, was he? Yeah, I didn't know that either. There were some good songs in that too. So there you go. He's Um, such a genius. He's so talented, that guy. Oh my God, he is so talented and you could literally go down a rabbit hole of response to this movie now online. And in in any case, so the film is about a family. Their last name is Madrigal and they're helmed by a matriarch and her children and her grandchildren receive magical gifts from a miracle that helps them serve their community in rural Colombia except for this one young girl, Mirabelle Madrigal. She does not receive this magical gift that the rest of her family has. Like they all have separate magical skills, right? And so Mirabelle learns her family is going to lose their magic and she sets out to kind of find what's going on, save her family. They have this magical house and it's just a really, really different Disney movie. So. First, we have to go back to like me sitting in this theater watching the movie going, she has the same hair as Stephanie. Like, <gasps> really? She's got, yeah. And it's it's different than I'm when we talk to look about it the, up while you're talking. Yeah. You have to look how cute she is. And she's got glasses. And like, it's not that <laughs> it's not that she looks exactly like you. It's just there's something yeah, about the characteristics like or something. Her, her cute hair <laughs> and how awesome she is. And so first of all, I was like, this hair is so beautiful. It's not like brave. It's not like 10,000 million technical coils of hair. It's just adorable. And I feel like Disney's trying to do better. And so the film itself was released on November 24th. So it hasn't been out that long. It was at the end of 2021. And it received critical acclaim right away for the emotion, the music, the animation, characterization, and above all, and this is an interesting term, for its cultural fidelity. So Mm -hmm. we know in the past Disney has failed (laughs) 
when they parodied almost like a culture or a place um, or a race. And so the work that went into making everything about this movie true to like Colombian Hispanic culture, you know, shows and has Mm -hmm. had tons of positive response. Um, You know, that I feel like Disney's making a much stronger effort in that regard. And they're trying to embrace multiculturalism and diversity in a in a more authentic way. And actually there's Disney's releasing a movie soon that's set in Toronto about the multiculturalism in Toronto. Oh, cool. Yeah. I it is super I don't cool. Know if I've seen a, anything about that yet. Maybe I have. Is it animated? Yeah, it's animated. Hmm. Anyway, uh, yeah, I'm not I'm I'm pleased to hear that. I'm not surprised just based on some of the recent work they've done. And, you know, they're making progress, but it's like they're still learning and they're still on a path. But it's interesting to see the way it's going. And even when you talk about Mirabelle as the lead character and the main character and not being that typical kind of Disney princess look, you know, she's got an average sort of stature and build and she's she's just a really realistic character that, you know, could represent any young girl. Right. It initially has not performed that well theatrically. So critically, amazing. Theatrically and box office, yes, it was the highest grossing animated film of 2021, but it was expensive to produce. And so it's going to be a slog to kind of make profits and make that money back. But what's interesting is because of social media and because of the way we consume media, like when it was released on Disney Plus, like a month later, it achieved much wider commercial success. And then you see things like songs becoming... So the song that is the most popular right now is called We Don't Talk About Bruno. (laughs) And it's very... He's the... I'll get to that in a second, but he's uh, her uncle. He's Mirabelle's uncle. Okay. Okay, So it's this multi-generational family. And that's part of the challenge of what it was like to animate this movie because there's a lot of main characters. There's a Mm, lot of principal characters. It took a lot of work to animate all of them and make them, you know, fully fleshed out. So this song, We Don't Talk About Bruno, has reached number four on the Billboard Hot 100. The soundtrack of Encanto has gone viral and received three Golden Globe nominations. But the thing about We Don't Talk About Bruno is that it's kind of like all over TikTok too. And it's turned into a meme of its own because the song is so catchy. It's like, um, I don't know how to describe it if it's got a kind of salsa beat, but it's like, we don't talk about Bruno, no, no. You know, like it's, it's really dramatic and like you can... You could really belt it out in the shower. (laughs) Okay. So even to the point that I don't know if you follow on Twitter, am I the a-hole, basically? (laughs) I want to keep our rating clean. Okay, so A-I-T-A underscore online is, you know, 580,000 followers and it's an independent account. And it's just, it's just basically like people going, am I, am I the, am I the a-hole? Like they're getting happened. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, that's hilarious. It's pretty funny. So even like (laughs) AITA um, posted AITA for talking about Bruno and it's, and, and like this one tweet has 27,000 likes, you know? (laughs) Because again, if you know, you know, if you know, you know, and we don't talk about Bruno is trending on Twitter, t- right. on TikTok that's and on cute. Twitter and all these things. And it's a catchy song. So that's like the kind of breakout song. And there's articles with Lin-Manuel Miranda saying like, he didn't really know which songs would be the popular ones. This Like, you don't really know that. And I guess ones they submitted for awards are the more traditional, beautiful yeah. songs. And then yeah. this is what people are are really responding to. So I'll, I'll quickly tell you about... Um, you know, we love Mirabelle, but I want to tell you a little bit about about the movie without spoiling it. So what's what's interesting partially about this is that the subject matter, I think, of Encanto is complex. 
So it's kind of goes a bit deeper than some other Disney movies in that the main theme is kind of this passed down intergenerational trauma, which is another thing that culturally we've been talking about a lot more lately. So the grandmother, Alma, the matriarch, is forced by an armed conflict to flee her home. She loses her husband, Pedro. She saves her triplet infant children. It's a very sad beginning. Julieta, Pepa, and Bruno. And there's a basically a miracle that comes out of like her sadness and her loss that she has this magical candle that like blasts away her pursuers and creates this sentient house. They call it the Casita. And they they live there, her and her children. And along with this magical hidden town bordered by tall surrounding mountains. And they call it the Encanto. And then the movie takes place 50 years later with all these next generations. But so they have these magical gifts and it's really cute. But really what the the movie is exploring is these this trauma that the grandmother went through and how it kind of gets passed down. And of course, there's all the magic, but it's like, who's the most special of the children? And, you know, what is the most important thing and family dynamics and you know, I don't want to give give away all the spoilers, which is sort of easy to do if you explain yeah. everything. So that's kind of the plot of the movie. It's got an, an incredible cast of actors and culturally appropriate actors cast in these roles. So Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote the part of Bruno for John Leguizamo, who I love, who does a great job and is really pleased with the success of the movie and the fact that people love Bruno. Diane Guerrero is the beautiful sister, Isabel, who's like the Instagram-worthy sister. uh, Mirabel has two sisters. Wilmer Valderrama is the voice of her dad. And Alan Tudyk, who is very funny in a show Edward and I were watching, plays this toucan. A lot of the other actors I didn't know, but there's a lot of talent there. And what's interesting is, you know, as I said, it was challenging to animate like all of these characters. And actually, I think Lin-Manuel Miranda knew that from Moana, they started the movie Moana having like eight brothers for her and cut them all. So he created early on in the process of developing his music, I think he did a song for the beginning of the movie that really introduced all the main characters in the family. And so that like the studio would accept the idea of like, no, we can do this. I think there's like 12 main characters. So not easy. Yeah. Okay. So what's interesting, they took several trips to Colombia to learn more about the culture and, you know, stay true to it. And they hired two cultural experts who formed what Disney called the Colombian Cultural Trust. So they were, they became sort of this group of people who were keeping things on track and making sure that every aspect of the movie was authentic. Mm-hmm. So Lynn manuel Miranda and four of his other, a couple of the directors and these two from the Cultural Trust went on a research trip to Colombia, which sounds amazing. They spent two weeks in the country, met with architects, chefs, and artisans to immerse themselves in the culture. They visited big cities like Bogota and Cartagena. Cartagena, yeah. But they found inspiration in small towns such as Salento and Baricara, for the terrain and the architecture. And in Barikara, they befriended a local tourist tour guide, Alejandra Espinoza, who showed them around town and was later hired to consult on the film's historical and cultural authenticity. That's Um, awesome. And then she was an inspiration for several aspects of Mirabelle including her curly black hair. So we have to, I should look up pictures of her. So we should, uh, Alejandra Espinoza Uribe. So that's really cool. Google her and see if she also looks like you, Stephanie. (laughs) She's got curly black hair, large eyeglasses, and 
gestures, I guess, like Mirabelle. So the design of Mirabelle's skirt was inspired by traditional skirts woven in the Velez area. And what's interesting is they noticed that every different town had a specific personality. Um, and because the country's mountainous terrain divides and isolates these different towns, so they're, they each develop their own flavor, right? And this isolation became kind of part of the idea of having this very remote encanto. And encanto uh, translates into the word charmed or spiritually blessed. Mm, so mm-hmm. it's a place where magic and reality merge. But as I said, it's it's more complex. It's got this entire family, lots of songs, the magic realism. And so the real like true north of the film is the relationship with the grandmother and the granddaughter. Cool. I looked up Alejandra Espinoza. Yes. And she there's a really cute photo of her side by side with the character. Aw. Could you imagine you're just, you know, doing your thing, giving a tour to a bunch <laughs> of tourists, and then all of a sudden you become a Disney character? <laughs> it's pretty awesome. And all of a sudden you get hired by Disney? Yeah. You well, not only get hired, but you are the inspiration for a lead character in one of their movies. Yeah. Well, what's interesting about the side-by-side of her, which we should post, is that so many people are doing this now. Like, I guess there's a lot of people in the world that relate to these family members. So that's another meme that's happening in social media is that people are posting pictures of themselves that look like the different family members. And they're doing side-by-sides. So... Before I wrap things up, I think it's very interesting. There's a lot of debate. There's a lot of articles when you look for news about Encanto because, first of all, I mean, Disney, you know, they had this complex character. So Mirabelle's designed to be kind of clumsy, like sort of a little bit awkward, but not clumsy, like genuine and caring and loving. And like, she's just very well-rounded and sweet. And then they they had to make like the Disney princess character. So every character in the family is multidimensional, but it starts off with her sister, Louisa, is this very strong woman with giant muscles, kind of like Rosie the Riveter. Like, let's go back to your Red head scarf and uh, and your weightlifting. Like Lisa is very strong and powerful with big muscles. The the directors and the I guess illustrators had to push Disney to like, no, we we think we should do this. Like it's going to be an interesting character. And Disney's like, "Uh, but does she really have to be like that muscular? Meanwhile little girls and fans are going crazy. They love Louisa, okay? Then on the flip side, the other sister is the beautiful sister who can like make flowers grow when she like waves her hands in the air. And she looks like more of the traditional Disney Mm -hmm. princess. And in the end, when we learn more about the character, we learn she doesn't want to be so perfect and she feels, Mm -hmm. you know, she feels suffocated by it. Mm-hmm. Um, but when Disney went into production of all the merch to go with this movie, they made the pretty sister dolls with like hairdressing kits. And that's yeah. not what people want. No. So it's really interesting to see that they've created this very different movie with some very different types of characters. And the response from the public is, Yes, we want more diversity. We want more representation. We want to buy the toy of the muscly sister. Yeah, we want different beauty ideals, clearly. Right. And we don't want... I mean, they have Mirabelle because she's the main character, obviously. But it's interesting. Like, if you want a Louisa doll, I think you have to buy the whole set of the whole family, right? I think it's exciting because, to me, it shows, like, Disney's paying attention and they're moving in the right direction. And... And there's a lot of really fabulous themes that come up in this. And so I saw it just with Amelia. Edward and Noah haven't seen it yet. And I actually, I liked it enough to that I'll watch it again with them. Yes. They haven't oh, seen it. Oh, for sure. Oh, that sounds and, really uh, cute. Yeah. So, and just the hair. The hair. And the culture. And the, and the familiarity. Yeah. Yeah. Now you have to see it. So. Oh, for sure I will. That's my curl next door. And also oh, I because, and I was like, I hope Stephanie's not doing Encanto because last time we did an animated character, we both chose her. 
and her that was her no. name's with an M too, right? That was Merida. That's right. Merida and Mirabelle. There you go. And this yeah. song, I think that actually we don't talk about Bruno is like, I can't remember the statistic and where I read about it. I think it's even bigger than Let It Go. Like it's a big, big song for Disney. Whoa. Yeah. So this but, is the new Let It Go. It's time. Well, it's time that Let It Go for something gets different. put in the backseat. Yeah. And also sure. it's kind of that song in particular. It's kind of like, it's not irreverent because he sort of becomes this black sheep of the family and all this. Mm-hmm. Why don't mm-hmm. we talk about Bruno? I'm not going to ruin it for you. But the point is that the song itself is really dramatic. And as I said, you can kind of ham it up. Like I could see that being a good karaoke number. Ooh, well, great CND. That was, I can't wait to see the film. And she looks like a super cutie pie. She is a super cutie pie. Like, Did Amelia like, like it? Oh yeah, she really did. She really Good. did. And I, I think there's so many positive messages for like a young girl to take from it that like, it's not about perfection. It's about authenticity. Just be yourself. It, show vulnerability and honesty with your loved ones, you know. All these good things. Yeah, awesome. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay. Ready for mine? I'm ready. Okay. okay. Tamara, question. Yes. Yes. This game show host of 35 years was the ultimate trivia master. <gasps> oh, Alex. Alex. Trebek. You have to... F- you have to frame the answer Who is as a question. Alex Trebek. <laughs> Who yeah. is Canadian game show host Alex Trebek? <laughs> yeah, I feel like you'd love this because I know you're a trivia uh, nut. <laughs> I, I don't do that well at Jeopardy, just for oh. the record. Oh, it's so hard. It's hard. Yeah, it's so hard. But I, I, anyway. I love him. Well, how can you not love him? How can the public love loves him? him. Okay, main source credits include Rolling Stone... Vulture, and Wikipedia, of course. Alex Trebek was born in Sudbury, Ontario, Canada on July 22nd, 1940. He grew up in a bilingual English and French household because his mother was a French-Canadian from Ontario. And his father originally was from the Ukraine. He was sent to boarding school and almost got expelled which is so Alex, funny. what did I you know. do? I don't know. I mean, because the man's personal brand is so square. Yeah. But we'll get into that in a little bit. So that I, when I came across that, I laughed. He then attended military college, but then dropped out when he was asked to cut his hair. <laughs> well, so how long was his hair? Do we have know. pictures of Alex Trebek know. with long hair? Well, I don't know. So it would have been in the late 50s. If you look up photos of him from the 70s, this is where you see the curls. And I'll sort of get into this a little bit later, but his 70s curl is like a black, he's got black hair with curls. But at his end of life, or as we kind of know him from Jeopardy, he didn't. He had short, grayish, whitish hair. And I'll explain why in a second. He did his post-secondary education at the University of Ottawa and graduated with a degree in philosophy in 1961. And while he was a university student, he was a member of the English Debating Society. And it was also at that time that he started working in broadcast television while still a student. He was working at the CBC, which is the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, for those of you who don't live in Canada and may not know that. And he worked there for many years covering news and sports, as well as hosting a music program. And he was doing this while he was in school. He would go to school in the mornings, and then he'd work at night. And he was kind of an odd job Bob. Like, he would do whatever he could at the CBC, radio or TV, any possible job. He was like the substitute. He would announce or take whatever (laughs) was available to get the experience. And in the mid-60s, he hosted his first game show for CBC called Reach for the Top. Do you remember Reach for the Top? Vaguely. It was students competing against each other. It was a quiz show for students. Aww. Anyway, he he eventually uh, read the CBC National Radio News and covered a wide range of events for CBC Radio and CBC Television, including curling and horse racing and skating. And in the late 60s, he hosted a classical music program on the radio. Anyway, quite a bit of work on CBC. And then he hosted another game show called Strategy in 1969. Uh 
strategy, I, I had to look this up. So that, that game was about couples competing to answer questions and then they'd move spots on a giant maze. It was like <laughs> they were like in a real life board game. Sounds like Squid Game. Yeah, it was and for, like for you, couples. <laughs> squid game, yeah, and then if you landed on certain spots, there would be challenges on the square and stuff. Whatever. At least they didn't shoot you, right? <laughs> <laughs> I doubt there was any death. In the early seventies, he hosted "I'm Here Till Nine, which was the local morning drive radio show on CBC Toronto. And then he was also shortlisted to host Hockey Night in Canada. And for listeners who don't know what this is, it's a massive part of the Canadian TV culture and they analyze everything going on in the NHL and debrief on the game that just took place, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, he didn't win the role because the big boss did not want someone with a mustache to host hockey night. (laughs) (laughs) What is... I've seen a lot of hockey players with mustaches. I thought mustaches were cool then and that... What what year was this? (laughs) I don't know the exact year. 70s at some point. Okay. Anyway, mustache discrimination. Oh, yeah. I guess it was mustache discrimination. I guess they wanted... Yeah, that's a good question because everyone had a stash back then. That's what I thought. It was the style. And anyway, interesting. He wasn't meant for hockey anyway. He was meant for other important things. He was, although he had done all this work with CBC. Like, it it felt like a natural progression. Mm. Understandably why he was shortlisted. But anyway, turned out better for everybody in the world that he didn't get that job. He ended up remaining in the game show circuit. He did so many game shows throughout his career. He ended up, he shifted to an American audience in the 70s with a different show called The Wizard of Odds, (laughs) 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 where contestants would answer statistical questions. And then he did another game called High Rollers, which involved rolling dice And then another game show called the $128,000 question, Mm. which essentially was the more correct answers you get, the more money you can win, and then you gamble it. And then in the early 80s, he hosted Pitfall. Do you remember Pitfall? No. Oh, I totally do. I think because it was in reruns, but it's funny because there was only one season. It was a trivia show involving elevators. What? You don't remember this? No. I think it must have been on after school. Okay. I got the weird Were you a latchkey kid or something? I was. Okay. Yeah, I was. Just come I home from be- school, turn on the elevator show. <laughs> <laughs> come home from school. Yeah, we took the school bus home and would let us ourselves in and go get a snack and watch a couple episodes of cheese ball. It was always uh, four o'clock WKRP in Cincinnati. Uh-huh. <laughs> And then, like, there must have been a game show or two. Anyway. Okay. So Pitfall, yeah, the the show only didn't last very long. It got canceled because the production company went bankrupt. And Trebek never got paid for the work. Poor Alex. But he, yeah. he made it up later. Well, as it turns out, in the mid-80s, Merv Griffin hired him to host a revival of Jeopardy! And the rest is history. He hosted it from 1984 until his death in 2020. And his final episodes aired January 2021. Wow. Yeah. So So uh, how long did Merv Griffin do it? Like, I always think of it as Alex Trebek's show. Uh, Merv Griffin was not the original host. He was the producer. Oh, There was a a prior host who left the show because of creative differences, but was friends with Alex Trebek and so recommended him. Hmm. Yeah. For a brief period in 1991, Alex Trebek became the first person to host three American game shows at the same time, Jeopardy being one of them. Classic concentration. Do you remember that? <laughs> no. <laughs> so much cheese ball around that time where you had to match panels. It's like the game, the card game concentration where you're, oh, okay. where you're matching yeah, maybe. cards. Maybe it rings a bell. And then there's another one called To Tell the Truth. So that was the third show he hosted. And that show is about three people. One is telling the truth. Okay. Can you guess who it is? Huh. There's, there were so many game shows when we were growing up. Lots. But like, how could you possibly watch them all? I mean, I think we watched Wheel of Fortune, Jeopardy, um, The Price is Right if you were homesick during the day, homesick from school. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then there was really cheddar Canadian shows like The New Liars Club. Right. <laughs> Remember that one? vaguely yeah just like mom and then 
Just like mom was amazing. That was so good. And then that other one, Family Feud. Yeah, which is still on. So for the listeners, Just Like Mom was another CanCon (laughs) game show where kids would go on and compete in a kitchen environment and they'd be tasked with baking a cake or baking cookies or whatever. And they'd have all these ingredients on their cooking station and people would put like chocolate chips and then ketchup in their... (laughs) But that was yeah, like the finale. Bake a cake. The baking was like the finale. So it was like the newlywed game, but for parents with kids. And so they'd ask, you'd have to guess oh, what your right. kid would answer. <laughs> right. So they, they might ask your kid a question and then see if the parent could figure out what the kid, what was the kid's guess and get yeah. a match. And then the last challenge was like the kid would bake this thing and the parents would have to guess which guess cookie their which kid made. <laughs> Yeah, but the ingredients were, there were always some like bait and switch ingredients, like ketchup. (laughs) And then if you're a kid at home, you're like, one day when I'm on that show, I'm going to tell my parents it's going to be the entire ketchup cookie and then they're going to know it's mine and we'll win and we'll dominate the world. (gasps) Oh my God, my sister and I wanted to be on that show so bad. They rebooted it like a few years ago, but I never really saw it. Yeah. Anyway. Some things are best in hindsight. Yeah. Best left in the past, you mean? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, okay. So uh, he was also, Alex Trebek was also a guest on a couple game shows. In 1976, he appeared on Celebrity Bowling. And can you please Google Alex Trebek Celebrity Bowling right now? This photo of Alex Trebek playing Celebrity Bowling is just amazing and everyone should just Google it and we'll post it on Instagram. Yeah. He's got this great head of black curly hair and this like 70s sort of sweatshirt. I don't know, like the cropped sort of sweatshirt look. And he's holding (laughs) this giant bowling ball. It's just so good. Gleaming, a gleaming bowling ball. Gleaming bowling bowling (laughs) ball. Yeah, it's pretty good. And then in 1980, he beat a crowded field of game show hosts in a special tournament edition of Card Sharks. Cool. Okay. And then this soundbite is just wonderful. April Fool's Day, 1997, Alex Trebek and Pat Sajak from the Wheel of Fortune traded places. Oh my God. (laughs) That's great. Which is a funny tie back because who knew talking about Wordle would take us to Wheel of Fortune? And here we go. We're talking about Wheel of Fortune. Pat Sajak hosted Jeopardy! And Alex Trebek, along with Sajak's wife, hosted Wheel of Fortune with Pat Sajak and Vanna White as contestants. (laughs) <laughs> so cute okay sorry vanna white was a contestant on jeopardy no yeah. alex trebek hosted wheel of fortune uh-huh. with leslie sajak oh okay okay so the two of them were the pat and vanna it right. was alex and leslie okay and the real pat sajak and vanna were contestants on this April Fool's episode that was hosted by Alex Trebek on Wheel of Fortune. Oh, fun. Yeah. So Pat Sajak and Vanna White were spinning the wheel. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Yeah. Okay. So all in over his career, he hosted 33 shows. So quite a lot. And the public loves, loved him, loved him, still loves him. They delight in him reading the questions on Jeopardy, particularly when it felt counter to his personal brand. Because he came off as this sort of wholesome intellectual type behind a lectern and, you know, full of wisdom. And he had this professorial mustache. And so people would delight when he had to read rap lyrics or something <laughs> equally counter brand for right. him. Right. Um, and he also had a really quick sense of humor, often roasting contestants when they'd flub on their answer. Mm-hmm. He was qu- very quick-witted and very funny. And further on his sense of humor, in 2005, he was hosting Jeopardy's Tournament of Champions. So three of the best all-time players were competing against each other. And uh, they were also nervous and they were behind their podiums and they were sort of joking around about going pantsless because no one would ever see. And which is so funny now in COVID times, because there's been all those memes of people in (laughs) boxer shorts on Zoom calls. Anyway, Alex Trebek heard them over the microphones And instead, he decided to do it. So, you know, Alex Trebek gets introduced and he comes out without pants. And he's just (laughs) wearing his little boxer shorts and his uh, suit jacket. Yeah. Anyway, it really helped break the tension. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So Alex Trebek is actually a curly. 
recent photos, you wouldn't know it. The sh- and of course, the shorter you cut your hair, the less curly it looks. And also, he started wearing a hairpiece in 2018. So the pictures in his final years don't look curly at all. Mm. And as it turns out, he started wearing a hairpiece after a head injury. He lost his balance and hit his head. And uh, he, as it happens, he was losing his balance quite frequently. And after some medical investigation, it was determined he had blood clots in his brain and had to get surgery to get them out. And the resulting surgery created several stitches on his head and he was left with just sort of this tuft of hair. And to not scare TV viewers, the Jeopardy show producers encouraged him to wear a hairpiece. So the last few years is a hairpiece. And anyway, unfortunately, his medical challenges continued. And in March 2019, he went public with his stage four pancreatic cancer diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And he died November 2020 at the age of 80. He died in November 2020, but the last episodes with him are in 2021. I guess they the last episodes are January 2021, but they filmed it. They filmed them in advance. Mm -hmm. But he was he was hosting right up until the end. Yeah, I remember that. And you know what? It's funny when you said, "Yeah, he was a curly." I think of him as from sort of his younger days, and picture him in a way as a, a curly. Yeah. But when you said you were going to mention later why, I was wondering if it was a chemotherapy because I think for some people too, after they have chemo or types of cancer treatment, it can change the texture of your hair as well. Yeah, I mean, it may have underneath the hairpiece, but he got quite adept at wearing a hairpiece in those last few years. So I would right. suspect, I mean, I don't have any material to back this up, but I would suspect that he was wearing the hairpiece till the end. Yeah. That makes sense now. Yeah. Anyway, he's quite acknowledged and awarded. He won six daytime Emmys for Outstanding Game Show Host. He was honored also by the daytime Emmys with a Lifetime Achievement Award in 2011. In 2012, he accepted a Peabody on Jeopardy's behalf. In 2014, he broke a Guinness World Record for the most game show episodes hosted by the same presenter. With a He, he hosted... 6,829 episodes, which overtook Bob Barker, who was the previous record holder. In 97, he was awarded... Bob Barker, Spay and Neuter Your Pets. What's that show called? Price is Right. Oh, Price is Right. Before, I guess, is Drew Carey still hosting it? Yeah. But Bob Barker was for a long time, like our childhoods. That's right. In 97, Trebek was awarded an honorary degree doctorate from the University of Ottawa, his alma mater. He has stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame as well as Canada's Walk of Fame. He won a gold medal from the Royal Canadian Geographical Society for his contribution to geographic education. Mm. He, in 2016, was given the key to the city from the city of Ottawa. In 2017, he was named an officer of the Order of Canada. And he's also part of the pop culture zeitgeist in a pretty significant way. I mean, sort Mm -hmm. of how like Larry King or other major news anchors make their way onto shows and movies as sources of truth. Yeah. He appeared as himself 44 times across different TV shows and movies, such as Rain Man, The Golden Girls, Cheers, Groundhog Day, Beverly Hills 90210, Blossom, Seinfeld, Baywatch, White Man Can Jump, RuPaul's Drag Race, Family Guy, Orange is the New Black. It, It goes on and on and on. And then he even voiced a quiz show host on episodes of Rugrats and Arthur, which is kind of cute. And then he also had other TV gigs, like he was on Jimmy Kimmel. He was in the Colbert Report. In 95, he returned to his broadcast news roots by filling in for a week on Good Morning America. That's pretty cool. Interesting. Um, He acted in The X-Files in season three, playing one (laughs) of the men in black. Oh. Um, (laughs) Just for kicks. Yeah. giggles. That's... Uh, yeah. And then in 1996, he participated in the Olympic torch relay in support of the Atlantic Games, running the torch in Florida. Uh, a few other factoids. He became a citizen of the U.S. in 1998. He lived in California. He was a longtime philanthropist and activist, and he did a ton of work with World Vision Canada. He also did a lot of work with the Jeopardy crew for the United Service Organizations, uh, which involved appearing on military bases and in an attempt to find contestants and also to help boost the troops' morale. Mm-hmm. He also donated a ton of land to the Santa Monica Mountains Conservancy in 98, which is really nice. 
Oh, this is cute. He hosted the National Geographic Bee in the United States for 25 years. He also donated millions of dollars to the University of Ottawa. And the money funds a few different things, including the Alex Trebek Forum for Dialogue, which is aimed to expose students to a wide range of diverse views through speeches, public panels, events, and lectures from U of O researchers, government officials, and guest speakers. Awesome. And it's the idea is to get people thinking differently, which is really mm-hmm. neat. And just lastly, he had quite a wardrobe. He was quite a close horse and he had hundreds of neckties. He uh, dressed himself for Jeopardy. And in February, 2021, his son donated the wardrobe to the Doe Fund, which helps homelessness and people recovering from addiction. That's Alex Trebek, an all-around nice, generous, smart, funny guy. I've always just found that even though I'm not really good at Jeopardy, Edward's dad was really into it. So Edward's been into Jeopardy his whole life. And he used to watch it every day. And I'd have it on in the background. And there's something about Alex Trebek's voice that's just soothing and kind of like this constant. It's like certain things like the world's a chaotic place. And then when you have some things that are like a constant that don't change, it just feels grounding. Yeah. And you know what? It would be great if he read meditative or hypnotic go to sleep audios, you know? Well, maybe he did. And if he was still alive, they would be calling him up from calm because they have so many interesting random celebrities who do like bedtime stories and (laughs) meditations and stuff. Yeah. Cool. And it's interesting. I mean, there's so much footage of him. It wouldn't be that hard to recreate his voice. Just edit it together into a story into a good night story by Alex Trebek. Yeah. There's 35 years of him asking all sorts of different manner of questions. Mm -hmm. He probably has covered most words in the English language. So that you could write your own script and then make Alex Trebek say it. Yeah. Posthumously. Yes. Well, this is a million dollar idea, Stephanie. It is. I'm not sure how moral it is. Uh, (laughs) Well, maybe his family gets a cut or it goes to his charity. Yeah. Oh, that's Something like that. You work with the estate. Yes. True. Well, that's a great CND. I love it when we have two that are so different and just interesting. Yeah. Thank you for listening. And if you are waiting for two long weeks saying, when's the next episode coming out? You can always go to our Instagram for new pictures, insights, anecdotes. We post more articles on Twitter and Facebook. You can find us there as well. Curl Next Door Podcast. What's our Instagram handle tomorrow? Our Instagram handle is Curl Next Door Podcast. What's our Facebook handle? It's Curl Next Door Podcast. And on Twitter, what's our Twitter? It's Curl Next Door Pod, you know? And our email is Curl Next Door Podcast at gmail.com. And email us. Shoot us a note. If you have if note. you have hair products that you think we should try because you love them, tell us. If you make hair care products, drop us a line. If you have someone amazing that you think we should profile on this show let us know and of course we always want to hear your curly haired stories and anecdotes and what you think of the episodes please rate review and subscribe to our podcast there you go thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in today bye